0: Africa Rise and Shine Africa
1: Zorka Africa Amika Na Unai
2: Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance Broadcasting from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and 15255 kHz on the 90 meter band to Far West Africa. And I am Lulu Kabu driving the show with Ann Musa, Tabiso Luhuku, and Figile Lingwati. Top stories in Africa rise and shine at this hour. South Sudan president meets his Kenyan counterpart in Juba. EGAD leaders discuss ways to resettle Somali refugees and experts stress the role of early action in combating drought in East Africa. In economics, public-private partnership ruled out to rescue cash-strapped South African airways and in sports news, South African Football Association to update FIFA on match-fixing probe. But first thing news with Anne Musa.
3: Good morning, South Africa is sending an ambassador to Yemen to engage with authorities following the abduction of two South Africans. They were abducted on Monday in the Yemeni town of Tiz. South Africa's international relations spokesperson Klesen Monella says the two are believed to have been involved in the development of the hotel from which they were abducted.
4: We have just received a report from our mission which is accredited to Yemen that indeed those two are South Africans. The story we are told is that it's around a land dispute. It's apparently a hotel development they are
5: involved in and there's a dispute with the landlord and that explains uh, their
6: abduction.
3: The European Union says Zimbabwe still has a lot of work ahead of it if the country is to hold a fair election this year. EU's Managing Director for Africa, Nicholas Westcott, who is on a visit to the Southern African nation, says a lot needs to be done if elections are to be peaceful and credible. Zimbabwe recently passed a new constitution in a national referendum. This paved the way for general elections later this year, which should end a coalition government between President Robert Mugabe's PF party and the former opposition movement for democratic change headed by Morgan Changarai. The EU recently removed sanctions which targeted Mugabe's inner circle. A fair election could push the EU to remove further punitive measures. The World Diamond Council has welcomed the temporary suspension of the Central African Republic from the Kimberley Process Certification Scheme. The council's president, Ellie Izakov, says it's a tough but appropriate measure that will defend both the integrity of the diamond pipeline and also the well-being of the people of the Central African Republic. The Kimberley Process Certification Scheme aims to prevent funds raised through rough diamond sales from financing rebel groups. Meanwhile, South Africa's death toll from the Central African Republic coup has risen to 15, after another soldier from the South African National Defence Force tired of his wounds suffered while fighting the Seleka rebels. The French Foreign Minister says the attackers who carried out the double suicide bombings on a military camp and a uranium mine in Niger had help on the inside. 35 people were killed in the attacks. Laurent Fabius has also confirmed Niger President Mohamedou Isafo's earlier claim that the al-Qaeda-linked jihadists most likely came from southern Libya. Last Thursday's attack was claimed by a brigadier under the command of Algerian-born terrorist Mokhtar Belmokhtar, as well as by the movement for oneness and jihad in West Africa. Both groups are spin-offs of Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghrib, Al-Qaeda's branch in Africa. The head of Libya's National Assembly, Mohamed Magharef, has resigned following the passing of a law banning anyone who held a senior post in Muammar Gaddafi's regime from government. The law was adopted on the 5th of May at the demand of armed factions who helped end Gaddafi's 42-year rule in 2011. The heavily armed groups had surrendered the, uh, surrounded the Foreign and Justice Ministry for days before the passing of the law, which prohibits former officials from holding any high positions. Humanitarian agencies are warning of a major cholera outbreak in Gao in eastern Mali due to lack of access to clean drinking water. United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says over 60% of Gao's population of 70,000 people have no access to clean drinking water. Already 22 cases of cholera have been reported in Gao, with two fatalities. Jans Lake from Okao says although no new cases have been reported in the past five days, the risk of cholera remains high.
4: The humanitarian coordinator for Mali, Aurelien Agbenoncy, was there in Gao on the 25th on a mission with OCHA, WFP and WHO. He said after that mission that the rehabilitation of water supply is imperative now to assist the population of some 70,000 people in the town. Some neighborhoods in Gao do not have water at all due to dysfunctional pumps and lack of electricity. Outside of the city, the situation is even worse because the Niger River River is the only source of water and there are concerns about cholera outbreaks, The water is not clean.
3: And that's the news for this hour.
2: Thank you, Anne, for that news update. In our top story, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta has just concluded a historic visit to South Sudan where he held crucial talks with his counterpart Salva Kiir. The talks were mainly centered on the construction of an oil pipeline from the newly independent nation's capital, Juba, to Kenya's Indian Ocean port town of Lamu. Channel Africa's James Shimanula has more.
1: The oil pipeline that formed the crucial talks between South Sudan President Salva Kiir and Kenyan leader Uhuru Kenyatta is to be known as the Lamu Port-South Sudan-Ethiopia Transport Corridor Lapset. The pipeline expected to be completed by 2020 comprises 1,700 kilometers of superhighway and 1,600 kilometers of a modern railway linking Lamu with Ethiopia and South Sudan. The first phase will also include an oil refined at Lamu and three international airports to boost business and trade in the region. Speaking about the pipeline at a press conference in Cuba, Uru Kenyatta had this to say starting with the road construction. We
7: want to prioritize that road. We will work jointly together, respective ministries that are concerned with road construction, even with regard to sourcing the financing, that we will actually do it as a joint project. And I'm personally convinced that uh, the fact that the road has already now been designed by the world, but really now... Now what we are doing is to ensure that we secure the funding for that particular road. Uh, I want to assure you that Kenya will indeed play her role to ensure all parties to the agreement actually fulfill and lead to the letter and spirit of that accord. But ultimately, we will also play
1: our role to ensure smooth and speedy implementation of that agreement for the mutual interest of the two nations. Reflecting on the lapsed project, Uru Kenyatta pointed out that most importantly is to ensure the success of this project so that these people can
7: engage in alternative means of finding livelihood as opposed to these traditional means which really have no day in the modern world. But we must ensure that at least the infrastructure is in place for us to be able to pursue alternative economic
1: activities while at the same time maintaining and boosting security along our common border. Turning to the pipeline itself, Kenyatta explained what he and his counterpart, Salva Kir, had agreed to do. The pipeline project, we have agreed that This is again an area
7: where we need to tackle the funding jointly, together, to carry the project as a joint Kenya-South Sudan project in order to ensure both economic viability and also to ensure that we fast track the process of starting the actual construction. You know, of course, we
1: have already established and are in the process now of building the first three berths in Lamu, which is the beginning. For South Sudan, the Lapset Corridor will be a new lifeline to the outside world. It could not have been more timely too for the New and landlocked nation, South Sudan counts on its oil revenue to bolster its economic growth. The oil exceed to the international market has, over the years before South Sudan gained independence and after that nation became Africa's 54th nation, passed through North Sudan's Port Sudan on the Red Sea. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanulov.
2: Member countries of the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, have agreed to support the initiative of governments of Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya and the UN High Commission for Refugees on the repatriation of Somali refugees from Kenya and Ethiopia. IGAD states are to convene an international conference in Nairobi to discuss how to settle the Somali refugees. From Nairobi, Mwagi Konyo reports.
0: African leaders from the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, are expecting to gather here in Nairobi for an international conference on the immediate repatriation of Somali refugees from both Kenya and Ethiopia. According to IGAD sources here in Nairobi, the East African leaders have agreed to support the initiative by governments of Somalia, Kenya and the United Nations High Commission for Refugees to convene an international conference on the repatriation of Somali refugees from Kenya and Ethiopia. According to a statement released by the Kenyan government, Kenyan Somalia will co-chair the conference and will invite the input of Somali stakeholders on how to resettle refugees in an orderly fashion. Speaking to the media earlier this month, the Somali president Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud said the conference will discuss how to resettle all Somali refugees on a smooth and organized manner.
8: We agreed together that in August this year there will be a conference in Nairobi whereby the Somali government, the Kenyan government, and the UNHCR will be discussing on the smooth and uh, uh, organized, how smoothly and organized manner the Somali refugees will come back to Somalia. So discussions started, but it's at its preliminary stage, and we hope by the end of the year we will have a very clear roadmap in place for the return of close to two million Somalis Back to Somalia.
0: In recent month, the President Hassan Sheikh Mohamud of Somalia has assured member countries of IGAD that his country was stable enough for his citizens to return home. And due to the increasing cases of insecurity along the Kenya-Somali border, Nairobi government has heightened its decision to control the influx of Somali refugees in the country. And since last year, the Kenyan government has closed further registration of Somal refugees in Kenya, including closure of all registration centers for Somal refugees in the country. And according to the spokesman for the United Nations High Commission for Refugees in Nairobi, Mr. Emmanuel Nyamberi, most of the Somal refugee camps in Kenya are heavily congested due to the increasing influx of some refugees in Kenya.
8: Overcrowding is there, definitely. Not only in the DAB, but also in Kakuma. It it causes concern to us. Because already, as we speak, we have more than 500,000 refugees in the DAB. In Kakuma, we have more than 150,000 people in in Kakuma. So congestion has been an issue. Having more people going down to the two camps definitely is a challenge that we need to deal with and we need to deal with it working with the government of Kenya.
0: According to Nairobi authorities, the Somali refugees have been linked to insecurity in Nairobi and other parts of the country, including Orisa Town and Dardab refugee camp. And with the forthcoming international conference on the repatriation of the Somali refugees, it now remains to be seen how soon this will be implemented, especially since Somalia is still fragile. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konya in Nairobi.
2: With the frequency and intensity of drought on the increase in the Horn of Africa, countries in the region are being urged to build their resistance to withstand potential disasters. That's one of the messages coming out of the Global Platform for Disaster Reduction held last week in Geneva. Patrick Maigua covered the conference and spoke to Matthews Hunde-Tulu of the Intergovernmental Agency on Development, EGAD, which works on food security and Environmental protection in East Africa. He said countries such as Ethiopia are taking steps to reduce their vulnerability to drought.
4: Ethiopia is implementing the largest productive safety net program in sub Saharan Africa, currently benefiting around 7 million chronically food insecure households. And a number of programs under this productive safety net program are being implemented, and those programs collectively aiming at building the resilience of the most at-risk population. And also, in parallel, the government is also enhancing its early warning and response capacity in order to be able to respond to disasters when they occur.
9: One of the issues that has been raised in this meeting is that governments, international agencies are very slow to respond when early warning
4: systems have been sounded. We cannot, you know, generalize, you know, that way. I mean, the situation is varying from country to country. The experience in Ethiopia, I would say we're able to link the early warning to the early action. I'm not saying that, you know, we're 100% perfect, but there have been some positive progress, you know, observed. Ethiopia was able to effectively mitigate the effects of that devastating 2010 and 2011 Horn of Africa's drought conditions. That was the reason why a single life was not lost. IGAD, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, is now currently leading and coordinating the IGAD Drought Disaster Resilience and Sustainability Initiative, which aims at ending drought emergencies in the Horn of Africa.
9: For people who live in drought-prone areas, a drought has become more or less their way of life. How do you ensure they are able to live within the
4: circumstances which they are? Drought in terms of its frequency, severity and duration is on increase. That's kind of a wake-up call that countries should put more resources, collaborate, you know, together because it's not a single country's issue. Rather, it's something that cuts across our countries. So unless you bring together countries and act together to end, you know, drought emergencies in the of Africa, you cannot, you know, have a meaningful result in terms of building resilience, particularly of the communities' program. Like, for example, take the case in pastoral areas. What are really crucial elements there? Water, pasture market and livestock when drought strikes all these things are becoming affected and hence pastoralists will be forced to lose their means of livelihoods so your disaster risk reduction interventions should be able to focus on such important aspects of livelihoods for that part of the world again you need to have an effective early warning and response system whereby you need to continuously be able to monitor disaster risks and be able to also provide info about impending disaster so that you will be able to jumpstart the response at the right time.
2: That was Matthews Hunde-Tulu of the Intergovernmental Agency on Development talking to UN Radio's Patrick Maiguaf. International Day of United Nations Peacekeepers is being observed today across the world to pay tribute to people who served in the United Nations peacekeeping operations. The theme this year is UN Peacekeeping, adapting to new challenges. UN Radio's Don Bob spoke with UN Assistant Secretary General for Peacekeeping Operations, Edmund Mullet, and asked him about the significance of the day.
10: Peacekeepers Day is. Uh, we see it as a, an opportunity to honor, and also to pay tribute to uh, all our colleagues who have lost uh, their lives uh, while serving with uh, with UN peacekeeping. You know that only in in 2012 we lost uh, 103 of our colleagues, and and many have died in the line of duty in many of our missions in Congo and Darfur and Abyei and Liberia and Côte d'Ivoire and in in other countries. So uh, this year, uh, Peacekeeping Day serves to uh, also not only, as I said, to honor and pay tribute to our colleagues who uh, have lost their lives, but also to highlight the the new challenges that are facing us. Uh, As you know, also, peacekeeping has been evolving over the years from uh, mainly uh, traditional ceasefire uh, monitoring tasks and now we're organizing elections, we're assisting in rebuilding countries, we're uh, monitoring uh, human rights. So in these new uh, contexts, uh, UN peacekeepers need improved capacities and innovation. So this is a, a day also where we have to face these new challenges. What are the challenges facing UN Peacekeeper? Uh, Well, specifically, I think that we could identify uh, three or four of them. Uh, One of them is uh, that we are uh, increasingly operating in in high-risk environments. Uh, uh, In Mali, for example, we must be prepared for asymmetric uh, threats, uh, improvised explosive devices, IEDs, or or suicide bombers, something uh, we have not been faced with in, in other missions. Uh, so we must be ready. I mean, to meet these new challenges and to adjust to uh, changing uh, security uh, situations. So flexibility will continue to be our focus. The other challenge is that, for some people, some observers, some uh, troop contributing countries, some member states, we are entering a new ground: uh, the, the use of force and, and and counterterrorism. And I think this is a, a misperception. So we we have to fight that. For example, the the use of force by right now by MONUSCO with this newly created uh, intervention brigade that that was authorized by the uh, Security Council. This is uh, an exception and it's not the rule. In Mali, uh, the recently created uh, mission, we will not be involved, we will not be conducting uh, any uh, counter-terrorism activities at all. We will use force, as uh, in other missions, to uh, protect civilians and and to protect uh, ourselves, the the UN the UN presence. So I think we need to um, uh, improve the effectiveness and performance of of our missions. This is another challenge. Uh, we need to deliver in a, in a more robust uh, way, and uh, this uh, requires uh, a clear political framework that we are asking from the uh, Security Council. We also need adequate capabilities uh, and capacities and and also the uh, political will on the part of our contributors. For example, the use of uh, UUAVs uh, could help. We call this UUAVs because it's unmanned aerial vehicles. So we want to make sure that people understand that Even if they're the traditional UAVs of unmanned aerial vehicles, they're also unarmed because this is only for protection of our troops, for preventing clashes or problems on ground. So I think the use of UAVs and new technologies is important.
2: UN Assistant Secretary General for Peacekeeping Operations Edmund Mullet talking to UN Radio's Don Bob. We now cross over to Tabis Oluhoku for our economics update.
6: South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister Malusi Sikikaba says his department has ruled out any public-private partnership to rescue the cash-strapped South African Airways at this stage. Kigaba has been addressing financial watchdog SCOPA in Parliament yesterday on the future of SAA after it had sought a 500 million guarantee from government to recapitalize its operations. The national carrier has repeatedly requested government to fund it in order to stay afloat. Kigaba says a private partnership by the Swiss government with Swiss A has failed to achieve the desired results.
11: Insofar
0: as SAA and what options for the future, uh, I think at the present moment we, we are not looking at an option which would include a PPP. Uh, that hasn't been considered since the, the collapse of the uh, Swiss
6: um, partnership. South Africa remains one of the most diverse regions in Africa for its proliferation of successful mobile money business models have been championed by banks, mobile network operators, third-party providers and retailers. This is according to Amma Pierce, director of the annual Mobile Money Africa Conference and exhibition underway in Johannesburg. Ndanda reports.
12: Now in its fifth year, the annual Mobile Money Africa Conference and Exhibition has established itself as the continent's leading event, focused exclusively on building and showcasing the surging mobile money industry. The event has built up a solid track record in attracting the leading mobile banking, mobile payment, mobile money transfer and mobile commerce visionaries in the world.
6: South African Telecom's operator, MTN Group, says revenue has grown by nearly 6% in the first four months of the year, as it added more subscribers, particularly in its key Nigerian market. The mobile company, which has operations in 22 countries, expects to have 200 million users by the middle of this year. Nigerian revenue was boosted by a favorable Rand exchange rate against the dollar. World Bank Vice President for Financial and Private Sector Development Genometry Devon says the Global Conference on Innovation and Technology has managed to connect entrepreneurs on the continent with those of the rest of the world. Devon says such gatherings attract great minds who commercialise ideas so as to attract job opportunities. The
5: World Bank Group believes that without bringing in the notion of innovation into local Development, um, a country or a region or an area, just simply cannot be competitive. The fundamental element that's required for competitiveness is for innovation to take place, and with innovation, that's where jobs uh, uh, get manifested. There have been real ideas coming together that have commercialized, right? And that's that's what it is. I don't think the you know there's any magic to it, except that when you put smart people together, right, and entrepreneurial people together,
6: you get sparks flying. Ugandan shilling is ahead of treasury bill and bond auctions this year and next week, at which interest from foreign buyers could offer the currency support. The Bank of Uganda is due to auction $38.3 million worth of treasury bills of all turn years, followed by a sale of three- and five-year treasury bonds. The local currency has risen 3.2% against the dollar in the year to date, having hit a 14-month low in January. Financial indicators at this hour. The US dollar trades at 9.69 South African Rand, 66 British pounds, 77 euro. One US dollar is worth 8.34. Botswana pula, 5.17 Zambian Guajas. Gold, $1,387. Platinum, $1,449 an hour. Brand crude oil, $1,03. 60 cents a barrel. Economics Update.
13: This Africa Month, Channel Africa is calling on you to participate and stand a chance to be the proud winner of the prize including an African Union t-shirt and Channel Africa souvenirs all you need to do is answer this very simple question how old is the African Union turn this year if you know the answer email us at info at channel or simply SMS us to plus 2783 359 9174 Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, tzorna.
1: Africa, amuka na unai.
2: Thank you, Tabiso. South Africa remains one of the most diverse regions in Africa for its proliferation of successful mobile money business models being championed by banks, mobile network operators, third-party providers and retailers. This is according to Emma Pierce, director of the annual Mobile Money Africa Conference and Exhibition underway in Johannesburg. More than 200 of the continent's leading industry experts are attending the conference, which concludes today. Nsantama Sangu reports.
12: Now in its fifth year, the annual Mobile Money Africa Conference and Exhibition has established itself as the continent's leading event focused exclusively on building and showcasing the surging mobile money industry. The event has built up a solid track record in attracting the leading mobile banking, mobile payment, mobile money transfer and mobile commerce visionaries in the world. Conference Director Emma Pierce says with a focused agenda, the Mobile Money Africa Conference and Exhibition offers a premier platform for mobile money practitioners to share their expertise, experience and insights that have helped transform Africa into one of the world's foremost mobile money leaders.
13: Mobile Money Africa is uh, an event that brings together the key players from across the um, African mobile financial services ecosystem uh, to really share ideas and innovation and um, collaborate, I suppose, to solve some of the region's most pressing issues.
12: Manzi Kolu is a manager at ECO Financial Services in India. She's also one of the speakers at the conference. She says the event is a good platform to bring stakeholders together.
14: In Africa, it's a growing market. It's a very new market. Uh, There is a lot to learn Uh, from uh, from the regulator's perspective. They are still trying to form the regulations. From the banking institutions uh, perspective, they are still trying to see what kind of a model they need to follow, uh, how do they set up agents, uh, what's been the learning and the challenges in other countries and other experiences. So it's extremely important to share the experiences. And it is extremely important to learn from what the others are doing. And, and because it is something so new for these markets, uh, that it's important that people get together, uh, they share what they're doing, and also form partnerships and alliances that actually benefit uh, each of the entities and stakeholders. So I think from that perspective, events like this are extreme, are a very good platform to bring stakeholders together.
12: The conference offers delegates a platform to discuss collaboration, moving the market forward, and the different business models for the industry. Rizwan Jaffa is a Vice President of Sales at Telefin Software in Canada.
7: So We've been uh, participating with mobile money forums, in particular with this group, for, for many, many years. So in fact, I think that we were the very first ones to sign up with them. With our deployments in West Africa, North Africa and Eastern Africa, we are now looking to expand heavily into sub-Saharan
4: regions. And uh, our goal is to ensure that the underbank and the underserved have a voice in the financial institutions so that they can actually
7: provide for themselves and improve the quality of life.
12: Organizers of the Mobile Money Africa 2013 conference say the continent accounts for 15 of the top 20 countries globally in terms of mobile money usage. They say it's an ultra competitive space with numerous offerings launched in key regions where there's a high rate of adoption of mobile technology such as Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda and South Africa. Some of the offerings launched recently include M-Pesa and U-Cash. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Nlandra Malangu in Johannesburg.
2: An agreement to work on an action plan to prevent and reduce non-communicable diseases is one of the outcomes of the session of the World Health Assembly that has just concluded in Geneva. Since Monday last week, health ministers as well as United Nations and other health experts from around the world have been discussing a number of public health issues. These issues include blindness, disability, mental health, neglected tropical diseases and non-communicable diseases. UN Radio's Derek Mbata reports.
11: One of the resolutions adopted during the session of the World Health Assembly is on an action plan to tackle the growing problem of non-communicable diseases. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, non-communicable diseases known as NCDs kill more than 36 million people around the world each year. Dr. Oleg Chestnov is WHO's Assistant Director General for Non-Communicable Diseases, Mental Health and Disability. NCDs are now well studied and well understood. They give us a big advantage. For example, countries have found a way to cut back deaths from the heart attack and reduce cancer incident. We now have a strong evidence base and rich menu of options of best practice to choose from. Dr. Shanti Mendis, who coordinates the WHO's global program for the prevention and management of non-communicable diseases, says the action plan for these diseases has two components.
3: One is a set of actions for member states, a set of actions for UN partners as well as the secretariat, and a set of actions for international partners. The other integral component is the global monitoring framework. Both together, therefore, will enable all these actors to implement the actions collectively while monitoring the progress.
11: Non-communicable diseases can be prevented and controlled by changing lifestyles, including stopping smoking and excessive alcohol use, as well as eating healthy food. Dr. Francesco Branca, the WHO's Director of Nutrition for Health and Development, explains why it's important to involve the food industry in the implementation of the action plan for non-communicable diseases.
1: We have to acknowledge the fact that the food system is evolved in a way that we are consuming more and more manufactured food, In developing countries are also affected, and we are eating out of home. So those commercial actors which prepare food out of the home and which commercialise food, which distribute food to supermarkets, they all have to be engaged in a common action towards the reduction of non-communicable diseases to make the food environment healthier. ways to achieve that?
11: Some of the methods to make the food environment healthier are outlined by Dr. Douglas Becher, the WHO's Director of Prevention of Non-Communicable Diseases.
7: That includes, for example, reformulation of foods, reducing harmful fat content, reducing salt intake, etc., so that the salt target can be attained. There's a whole list of areas where you do need to have the cooperation of the industry as part of the multi-stakeholder and multi-sectoral collaboration.
11: Dr. Becher says the high-level political declaration adopted by the UN General Assembly in September 2011 maps out critical areas of work that would be necessary to have the cooperation of the private sector.
7: It's not only the food sector, it applies across the spectrum. Of course, there is the pariah status of the tobacco industry, which is recognized in the political declaration. Absolutely no engagement or interaction between this organization and the tobacco industry. The food industry or any industry that are brought into discussions must walk the talk. They must be transparent, and what they have to offer must be consistent with advancing the goals of the NCD Action Plan.
11: Dr. Petscher says a major meeting scheduled to be held in Geneva in July this year is expected to consider the establishment of a United Nations Task Force on Non-Communicable Diseases to advance implementation of the action plan. Derek Mbata, United Nations.
1: Africa,
0: rise and shine. Africa, Zorba.
1: Africa, amuka na unai.
2: The Zimbabwean Health Ministry has introduced an award meant to attract nurses who migrated to neighbouring countries and the United Kingdom in search of greener pastures. Following the mass exodus of experienced nurses, the Zimbabwean health system crumbled. Hundreds of people died as a result of a cholera outbreak, a waterborne disease that had been tamed in the country during the 1990s. Simon Muchemwa reports.
15: In a bid to lower back nurses who flock to South Africa and United Kingdom over the years, the Zimbabwean Health Ministry has introduced Nurses of the Year Award. During the inaugural Nurse of the Year Award held Tuesday at Parinyatua Hospital in Harare, Director of Operations Edson Mundenda said, The idea to award nurses came about following numerous complaints against their attitude towards patients. He said, the search for more money in neighboring countries such as Botswana, South Africa, and the United Kingdom caused the Health Ministry to lose thousands of qualified nurses. The idea to award nurses might attract nurses back home.
8: I think for, for, for starters, um, there were times when things were not as good as we expected. So nurses would actually uh, go for what would uh, call greener pastures. Those who remained, I think they were resilient. They were the sort of nurses that said, I will remain in patriotic. I want to be with my patients, Zimbabweans, and so forth. So we want to to, to, to think those are the sort of nurses that have got patients at heart, not only patients, but Zimbabwean patients at heart. I think it will motivate others, it will inspire others to sort of think of staying behind.
15: Due to the mass exodus of experienced and qualified nurses to other countries, the ones who remained did not meet the grade expected by the public, nurses' attitude towards patients have been a major concern for the health ministry over the years.
8: As an institution, we have received so many complaints from the public, so many public outcry, uh, where people were expressing dissatisfaction at the service that we're giving, and so as a hospital, we're trying to respond to what the people were saying. And one of the issues that were coming out clearly was the issue of negative attitude from the nurses. So we said, let's start with those. And uh, for us, the nurses, as you know, they are very close to the patient. They spend most of the time closer to the patient. So we said, let's target them. And uh, one of the things that we said we would do is to come up with an evaluation to see who is going to be the best in terms of responding to the issues that we were saying. So, as a, the hospital management board said, let's, let's have some awards for those who would excel in terms of doing uh, better, in terms of you know interacting with the patients, handling the patients, and so forth. So that's how we came up with this.
15: Awarding nurses is, is an acknowledgement the health ministry and hospitals came up with as a strategy to improve services. Meanwhile, Anna Messi Mutetwa, who scoped the inaugural Nurse of the Year Award Tuesday, said she was shocked to receive such an award after serving as a nurse since 1981.
4: We are always doing the, be- the best. Mm-hmm.
12: So I do, I, I think we'll do, we, 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 we have to, uh, to prove our, our caring for the patients.
15: Kirsten Mandea Masango first run-up of the nest of the year award is a socratic nest for 26 years he says the introduction of the award will motivate all the staff zimbabwean health sector crumbled recently due a decade long of economic decline which resulted in the number of health staff leaving the country to rise however the coming up of the government of national unity in 2009 opened up to a lot of improvements through the health transition fund a multi-donor pooled fund aimed at boosting zimbabwe the health sector reporting for channel africa in harare zimbabwe this is Simon muchema
2: we now cross over to figle Lingwati for our sporting update
5: Now sports update this hour, we kick off with football news. The South African Football Association SAFA President Kerstin Nematendani is leading a delegation to the FIFA Congress taking place in Mauritius from the 29th of May until the weekend. They are expected to breathe FIFA on the progress around their efforts to combat corruption in the game as well as measures that have been taken to this effect. SAFA has set up an anti-corruption hotline in a bid to combat corruption on activities related to football. The efforts have of late yielded some outstanding positive results, especially around the match officials and the delegation will update the Congress on the fight against corruption into football. Nematadani says this is a very important meeting in which they will exchange issues with the rest of the world. The delegation is expected back in the country on the 1st of June. On to cricket news, the South African women's emerging squad rounded off a successful tour of Zimbabwe when they beat them by 92 runs in the second and the final T20 of the series at Harare Country Club. They complete an undefeated tour after winning the ODI series 2-0 last week. South African coach Hilton Muereng says he's very happy with the standard of play and the talent unearthed during this tour. Muereng says they have to start looking at the future and they have identified several players who would be capable of holding their own if they are to be given an opportunity to step in for a member of the senior team if the need a Zimbabwe coach Leonard Nambaro says they are grateful to Cricket South Africa for agreeing to bring their side over as they host their first international tour. And in golf golf news, Turkish Airlines has been announced as the title sponsor of the European Tour's new event in Turkey in November. It's a tournament which will not only form part of the inaugural final series on the race tour to Dubai, but one which will also feature world number one Tiger Woods. The Turkish Airlines Open will take place at the Montgomery Max Royal in Belek, Antalya, and will have a 78-man field. Chief Marketing Officer at Turkish Airlines, Faruk Chizme
4: We are actually involved in most sports events like football, basketball, tennis, and golf It's also very important for us because golf lovers and golf players are key, let's say, let me say, key passengers or key customers for airline business as well. And uh, as our sponsorship strategy involves, you know, investing in sports events mostly, so golf, we cannot exclude it, it's not possible. And uh, that's why we, uh, we are now focused on uh, organizing this kind of golf tournaments in Turkey.
5: Chief Operating Officer and Director of International Policy for European Tour, Keith Waters, says this partnership will benefit both both parties.
14: It's very
12: important for the European Tour to to find a sponsor of the magnitude and international profile of Turkish Airlines. It's an excellent announcement. It's an excellent addition to the European Tour schedule. It's a new destination for the European Tour, so uh, very pleased. We were very fortuitous that um, when we were um, designing or trying to... uh, secure the final three events that uh, Turkey happened to be in the right place at the right time and uh, it's, it's worked out very well for both parties. And finally,
5: the number one ranked tennis player, Novak Djokovic, pulled out a tight first set en route to a 7-6, 6-4, 7-5 victory in the first round against David Goffin, a Belgian who was the surprise of Roland Garros a year ago. Djokovic, who has won the Australian Open four times and the U.S. Open and Wimbledon once each, says he really would love to pick up his first trophy at Roland Garros to make a full assortment. Earlier, Samantha Stoso, the ninth seed, Australian knocked out 42-year-old Japanese Kimiko Dante Crum, six love and six two. Dante Crum became the third oldest player to compete in women's singles in the tournament. Samantha Murray reports.
3: At 42, Darte Crum is the third oldest player ever to play at Roland Garros. There are 57 players in the women's singles draw who weren't even born when she made her French Open debut in 1989. Darte Crum eventually got into the scoreboard in the fourth game of the second set, but she was powerless against the Aussie, who cruised to a 6-love, 6-2 victory in just over an hour. France's hope in the women's draw, Marianne Bartoli, had to overcome a lengthy rain delay and a tenacious Olga Govatskova of Belarus before advancing to the second round. The 13th seed produced a hard-fought victory, overcoming three match points and serving an epic 14-minute final game to score a 7-6, 4-6, 7-5 win.
5: That's your Sport News this hour.
2: Uh, Thank you, Figile. As the situation remains calm and tense in Deep Sloot north of Johannesburg in South Africa, local authorities say the recent spree of looting and violence directed at foreign-owned shops was not a xenophobic attack. The violence followed after a Somali shopkeeper allegedly shot dead two Zimbabwean nationals trying to rob his shop last Friday night. The shopkeeper has appeared in court, where his case was remanded to next week. Police have evacuated Somali and other foreign shopkeepers in Dibsloot to a place of safety. Khumutu this report.
14: Foreign nationals have been at the centre of incidents of violence in South Africa's Khautum province over the past few days, which has seen their businesses attacked and looted. Last Friday, Several foreign-owned shops in Orange Farm and nearby city bank just outside Johannesburg were looted during service delivery protests. On Sunday, two Zimbabweans were shot dead, allegedly by a Somali shopkeeper, after an apparent argument. Residents began protesting and looting 19 foreign-owned shops after the men were killed. Over 40 people have been arrested for public violence, housebreaking and possession of unlicensed firearms. Ibrahim Mabuge, ward councillor at Deep Slot, says this is an xenophobic attack.
9: The situation is still tense but calm. We don't know what will happen later this evening because of the experience of yesterday. The whole day yesterday it was calm but later in the evenings that is where the residents started to regroup themselves into camps. And they divided among themselves to target various areas, section within our community. I don't think this is a xenophobic attack. Because in xenophobic attack, people sit down, plan, and implement. And they have the target groups. So now, in this one, it's a criminal activity. Because amongst these people that are busy looting the shops, even some foreign Zimbabweans, Mozambiqueans uh, lusutu butwana nationals together with our own people they are busy together, looting.:
14: mabuke says they're taking necessary action to restore order in the township well since
9: uh, yesterday we were in various meetings and also this morning we met the officials from the provincial department of community safety and also the chief of protocol at the office of the ministry of police now we are going to attend the job meeting with the purpose of preparing the public meeting. The, up so far now, I can confirm to you that the public mass meeting is going to be held on Thursday. The MEC for Community Safety in Houghton Province is going to address
14: the community on the matter. Mohamed Dalla, a Mali national and owner of one of the shops around the area, tells us how this incident affected him. You
4: know, sister, me, I'm from Somalia. You know, sister, every day sometimes Zimbabwean, they come to us, they shop, our shop, they rob us, they kill us. Just we didn't make big fight, we rob us. But now, someone in Somalia, he make mistake, he kill Zimbabwean and all Zimbabweans, South African, they rob our shop, they take him. So I think now we see South Africa, they support Zimbabwe, Because even as we are African, just in my shop, already they took the store. now it's empty my shop.
14: This is what local residents had to say.
3: When these people who are foreigners leave our country, all of them must go, including Zimbabweans. But Somalians should not leave because they are very helpful. They supply us with lots of grocery and food. Let them come back and we want them back.
0: I feel bad that they killed people. We want them because there is no food. I want to buy food now. I can't. I have to go to the mall and I will spend more money than I would have had they not looted. When the second person was killed, I was there so I feel bad and sorry for them. The thing is from the government to tell the truth because of Without the fingerprints, is a problem. Everyone can do anything that you want. The, the government should toughen up their to laws the because anyone can do whatever they we want. want. What we happened want. here shows but that the, the Somalis come took advantage. Can. If Zuma so was so can to come here please, can and tell him that, that his laws are weak, and and he has to make tough laws because there is corruption. You can't just pay someone and get away with crime. Jojo. I can do anything that I want and then I'll pay.
14: As police continue monitoring the area. Elas Dagure, spokesperson of a group of Somali and Ethiopian nationals affected by the violence, say they are compiling a report for the authorities and also intend on going to human rights organisations.
15: Now we're gonna make a meeting. After the meeting, we're gonna go straight to police station, and then after that, when we can, we're gonna
5: go to human rights. So unless we don't have any choice or we don't have any right here to stay here, so already our shelter is already broken. Okay, we are all, all we are outside. You see all these guys. They got only this clothes and then this shoe is the one we are using. Other thing we don't have. Everything is robbed, okay? We don't know where we are going. We are all painful.
14: The Gauteng government has described as totally unacceptable the so-called xenophobic attacks against foreign nationals. Last week, South Africa commemorated the 2008 xenophobic attacks in which more than 60 foreigners were killed. For Channel Africa, I'm Komatsu Mupulani in Deep Slot, north of Johannesburg.
13: This Africa Month, Channel Africa is calling on you to participate and stand a chance to be the proud winner of a prize, including an African Union t-shirt and Channel Africa souvenirs. All you need to do is answer this very simple question. How old does the African Union turn this year? If you know the answer, email us at info at channelafrica.org or simply SMS us to plus 278359-9174. Channel Africa, the voice of the African renaissance.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora, Africa, amuka na
16: unai.
2: Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. South Sudan President meets his Kenyan counterpart in Juba, IGED leaders discuss ways to resettle Somali refugees and experts stress the role of early action in combating drought in East Africa. That wraps up Africa Raz and Shine today. for myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzo Ramagaza, technical producer Sviso Mashikho and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org. Or write to us at Africa Rise and Shine, Channel Africa, PO Box 91313, Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006. Or send us an SMS to plus 2783-359-9174. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Danny Kaye with Real Men.
16: i